In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Three in One, who is here with us right now, no matter where you are, no matter who you are. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a long gospel reading. And if I didn't have a plane to catch after this service, we could probably spend a whole lot of time talking about this gospel reading and going through it verse by verse. I mean, we could be here as long as the Baptists. We could be here for like two, three hours at least going through this gospel reading. But today, since I have someplace else to be, we're going to touch on some of the important points. And one of those important points comes right at the beginning of this gospel reading. And right at the beginning of this gospel reading, we hear where Jesus is. Jesus walks into a town that is a Samaritan town. Now, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. You know probably the word Samaritan from that sense of a good Samaritan, and you think that even possibly Samaritans are, well, maybe good people, because the Samaritan is good. But that's not how people, especially Jewish people, would have seen Samaritans. You see, Samaritans are actually sort of outcasts to the Jewish people. These Samaritan people are, well, they're sort of half-breeds in a lot of ways. What happened in their history is that way, way back when the nation of Judah was taken into exile up into Babylon, the Babylonians, well, they only wanted certain people to go along with them up to Babylon. They only wanted the people that were, well the kind of people that you would want to take along with you. They only wanted the rich people. They only wanted the noble people. They only wanted the important people. And everybody else, they said, well, we'll just leave them here. We'll just leave them behind. We don't really need to take them with us. Besides, they'll probably bumble up everything anyway. And so what we'll do instead is we'll send some of our lesser nobility down into Samaria, down into Judah... And we'll, well, we'll try to breed the Jews out. We'll try to get them out of this place simply by mixing our Babylonian blood with theirs. And so when the people of Judah came back after the exile... They came back and they found these people that had intermarried and intermingled and they had begun to believe some strange things that weren't exactly Orthodox Judaism. And they began to call them Samaritans, people from the region of Samaria. And these Samaritans were an outcast group. It was kind of like the popular people had left for a little while, and then they came back and looked down their nose at these Samaritans. These people that were half-breeds. These people that were ethnically considered to be less. These people that they even wondered if God was with them. Because, you see, the people of Judah had this conception of God. They knew that He was omnipresent. They knew that He was everywhere. But they also knew that He had special favor for the people of Israel. 
And once that people of Israel got separated into the people that were rich and noble and important and the people that were not rich and noble and important, well, the Judahites, the people that became the Jews, they thought, well, God goes with the people that are rich and important and noble. And God is not with these dirty Samaritans. That's the kind of town that Jesus is walking into at this Gospel reading. That's the kind of town that Jesus, a full-blooded Jew himself, is walking into. He would have called them dogs if he was a Jew of the time and felt like doing that. It was the common way to refer to a person from Samaria was to consider them on the same sort of ontological field as a dog, as an animal. And Jesus walks into this town and he sits down by this well and then we learn something else that's kind of interesting. We learn that he sits down by this well at around noon. Which this well would have probably been a pretty lonely place at around noon because nobody came to the well at noon. Nobody except for this woman. You see, everybody else, they would have come early in the morning before it got too hot so that they could use that water for the rest of their day. Or they would have come late at night before, after the sun had gone down and things had gotten a little bit cooler. And so, this Samaritan woman shows up. And Jesus says, Give me a drink. And she says, <laughs> she kind of scoffs at him and says, Well, you don't have a bucket. And Jesus says, I can give you living water. And she scoffs again. And you begin to kind of question why she's doing all of this scoffing, why she's kind of throwing back everything that Jesus says into his face, why she's being so sarcastic and so caustic with this man who's just seemingly kind of a stranger who's sitting there by the well. And that's why knowing that this is about noon is so important. Because this woman knew that nobody was going to be at this well. This woman knew that she wasn't going to have to put up with any of the things that people would say about her. Because as Jesus points out, this woman has had five husbands and the person that she's living with right now is not her husband. And that becomes even more of a big thing when you understand that in Jewish law you were only allowed to have three husbands in your entire life. If you got married and the guy died, then you could get remarried. And if he died, you could get remarried. And if he died, well, you were done. No more. 
But this woman, well, she seems to be a little bit different. She seems to have been able to skirt the issue at least twice. And now with this guy who's not her husband, and you begin to wonder what kind of a woman she is. And certainly you can understand that she might be going to that well because it's about noon, because there's nobody there, because the women of the village aren't there and aren't whispering behind her back and gossiping about her. That the men aren't there looking down their nose at her or maybe even catcalling her. You can begin to understand why this woman is coming to that well. And you can begin to understand why this woman might be questioning God's presence. God's real presence in that place. Because for ages upon ages, the Jews had told the Samaritans, God is not with you. The Samaritans responded by saying, no, he is. But there was always probably a little bit of doubt in the back of that. And this woman probably lived in that doubt. That historical doubt of, well, you know, maybe God is everywhere, but he's certainly not here with me. How often do we feel like that? How often do other people feel like that? How often do we meet people that might feel like that even more than what we do because of the things that have happened in their lives? How often do we look at that kid who's showing too much skin and smoking a cigarette outside of the convenience store at four in the morning and wonder if God is really present with them? That's who this woman is. And that's why we can begin to understand why she might be questioning the fact that God is present with her. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes out and says, I am God. Ego eimi. I am Him. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the one who has come to reveal all things to you. And oh yeah, by the way, I just told you that you had five husbands and the guy that you're living with right now is just your boyfriend. I am God. And we expect that out of the Gospel of John because, well, it's the Gospel of John. We expect somebody to walk up to somebody else and to say, Hey, by the way, guess what? I'm Jesus Christ. But what if that happened to you at Publix? What if that happened to you when somebody walked up to you and told you about the sins in your life and said, I am God. I know who you are. And I'm with you. I'm with you in those moments that you don't want me to be with you. I'm with you in those moments where you have traded the righteousness that I have given you for cheap crap. For sin and for ugliness. I'm with you in those moments. Because I'm with you always. 
And because He's with you always, that's the reason that He loves you so much. He loves you so much that He's willing to spend His entire life with you. Which isn't just a normal life by the standards that we think of life. Maybe 80 years or so. But rather it's a life for eternity. That God is present with you. That God loves you so much that He wanted to die on a cross. So that those ugly sins that He sees you doing when you do them, those ugly sins that make Him shudder, He wanted to die on the cross so that those sins might be washed clean. And so that you could live with Him forever and ever. And always be able to say, I know God. He's right here. Amen.